Hello, teenagers. Very excited to be with you guys this afternoon, or this morning, rather. For some of you, it might feel like afternoon, since you didn't have much sleep. And uh, how's everyone enjoying camp? Is it great? Let me hear you. Yeah, okay. So I, it's hard to see here. I don't see too many red eyes, which is good. But I imagine by uh, Saturday morning, there'll be a lot of bleary-eyed teenagers coming from Eastern Camp. So today, I have a uh, sobering topic uh, to talk about, a biblical response to the gender identity crisis. So I did this for your parents uh, on Tuesday, a, a, a variation of this presentation, and I began by asking them the question, how many of them know someone who's trans? And I'll ask that same question here. How many people know someone who's trans in your school? Okay, so we probably got 50, 60, 60 to 70 percent, something like that. Thank you. When I asked your parents that same question, how many people of them knew, it was maybe 10 percent. So radical, radical difference. This is something that my generation never even had to deal with. And for some of you that may not even know what that means, a uh, trans person is somebody who feels that they're born in the wrong body. If they're a male, they feel that they're a female. If they're a female, they think they're a male. Or there's all kinds of variations in between here where some would say they're fluid. They're non-binary. It's neither this nor that. I'm you know, my, my unique self and express myself in a unique way. So what we're going to talk about is um, a little bit about this topic so you have a better understanding on, uh, and, and break through some of the confusion that you may be feeling or, or hearing uh, while you're in school or interacting with your, with your friends. Um, so what we're going to cover is uh, a, for, a word about the focus, then where are we today? Much of that won't be a surprise to you, some of the troubling realities there. Then we're going to talk about what the science say about that, and why is gender an important part of God's creation, and then how should we respond. So <clears throat> the political focus, and this is something you're experiencing in your schools or in, your, um, in our society, the chief concern is rights. And rights, uh, another way of saying rights is that I demand to be able to exercise my identity. So if I want to use the other bathroom, if I want to use the change room that I feel most comfortable with, and if that makes you uncomfortable, too bad. That's the focus of the political agenda. And, uh, but the biblical focus, the chief concern is people. There are people here who are genuinely confused and hurting, and trying to deal with all of the emotions. And as you're growing up as a teen, I'll go back to my teenage years, it was not an easy time to go through adolescence. You've got your body changing, you have your emotions uh, changing, you're growing up, you're discovering who you really are in the sense of what abilities you have, your friendships, all those things change over time. And so it can be a confusing time, and then you add on top of this uh, a whole bunch of pressure that you may feel in school as it relates to this subject. And so my personal concern and the biblical concern is really that about people and how they're feeling and how they can process this information. So one of our greatest challenge in learning here is to respond with compassion and truth because truth without compassion is legalism. You've probably experienced that. Somebody's just all about, we've got to do this and we're going to do it now and, and, and there's no compassion, there's no love and that, the, the Bible actually says that that leads to death. It suffocates. It's not a good way to live. But compassion without truth is just emotionalism. It's just, 
you know, well, let's do what feels good, and it doesn't matter whether it's truth or not. Um, and uh, what do you think is the problem with living just with compassion without truth? Any thoughts? Can we live long-term in that mode? What do you think? No, why not? What's the problem with living in that mode? Yeah? No foundation, exactly. It's kind of like, you know, we say, well, I feel, I feel like I can walk on air. So I'm on the roof, I'm like, I just feel like I can do this. And I step off, well, compassion and, you know, what I feel is not going to matter at that point. I'm going to plummet, I'm going to hurt myself. And so without a foundation of truth, there's going to be a lot of pain involved. And so that's why compassion and truth is the biblical way. That is the way of Jesus. And he says, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. This was the woman caught in adultery. He didn't just say, oh, you poor lady, you know, you have all this trauma. And maybe she did. We don't know. But he didn't condemn her. But he said, look, you can't keep living like this. This is not going to work. And in in John 1, it says, grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Um, he balances those things, both compassion and truth, and that's what we need to also experience ourselves and also model to those who are um, uh, struggling with this. So where are we now? So the traditional view is that gender is um, tied to your biological identity. For those of you in science, you got two X chromosomes and you got an X and a Y chromosome. Two X's is female, XY is male, and so now you have, um, that is the biological reality. That is stamped on every single one of your cells. You can't change that if you wanted to. Impossible. Uh, and so they're, they're tied together. Now what they're saying, or what they started saying a number of years ago, is say, well, actually, it's not really that. It's really, uh, we're going to revise this. We're going to say that even though uh, it's fixed, it doesn't necessarily reflect your biological chromosomes, what they tell you. We can be trapped in the wrong body, goes the message. And there's a number of very popular songs that would say, well, you're just born this way, whatever sexuality you feel, and, and all of these things, and that's who you are right from birth. And here in Ontario, in, our, in Ontario where a number of you are from, um, when, now as babies are born, you could say male or female or say unknown. Because they're saying, unknown, well, we don't know yet. Until they grow up, they have to figure out what their gender is. That's this view here. And uh, a number of years ago, I don't know if, uh, how many of you guys um, had um, um, followed this, but Bruce Jenner here on the left was an Olympic athlete in the decathlon, one gold, very popular person, and eventually decided he was, quote, living a lie. And he wanted to transition to a female. And he was in his 60s, early 60s, where he announced then to his family, sorry guys, I really am not a man. I'm a woman here. And I'm going to socially transition initially, but then I'm going to transition surgically as well. And so he had, I don't know, countless surgeries on his face, completely changed his face, his entire body, and very painful surgery, especially to remove all of the hair, as you know, men. So a number of you are starting to grow facial hair. That's, uh, you know, when you're growing a beard, that's not attractive on a woman. And uh, so he says, well, I don't want that. So he had to go through a lot of surgeries to actually remove that. And have a story of him just on the couch with all these ice packs all over his face. And his body is aching and he's swollen. And his eyes are swollen shut as he's healing from this surgery. And, uh, And here's a couple of quotes from him. He says, 
You wonder if you're making all the right decisions. I wish I were kind of normal. It would be much more simple. And poor guy not only suffered physically by going through that, but his whole family blew up. His wife said, sorry, I'm not interested in being married to a woman. I'm out of here. And uh, his kids were like, oh, it's a little strange what's going on here. And uh, so his entire family, and it's kind of a soap opera, very sad, of, of all of the drama that continues to play out even here, even though when he tweeted um, <clears throat> after he was done his surgery, he says, I'm so happy after such a long struggle to be living my true self. Welcome to the world, Caitlin, which is his new name. Can't wait for you to get to know her or me. And this was the most tweeted tweet, retweeted tweet, of all time. In four hours, it was a four million tweet, something like that, some crazy amount, because he was so popular and it was such a transformation. People were like, wow, this is really interesting. <laughs> um, so what uh, recently I just read, though, he, some are saying he's not really happy with the transition anymore. He's thinking of transitioning back. Now, you can imagine what that will involve, okay? It's, uh, so, so this, you know, the question is, what secrets is this picture hiding? So initially, this was the cultural narrative that said, I was born in the wrong body. I always felt like I wasn't a man. And now when the transition happened, it's like, uh, maybe being a man wasn't so bad after all. So this comes to the third thing that we're experiencing now in our culture, which says, actually, gender is just something that we came up with. It's a, it's a construct, therefore it is fluid and is an entirely a matter of choice. So if I feel like I'm feminine, then I'll just wear a dress and put on some makeup or whatever, to how you express your femininity and a few weeks later, a month, few months later, I'm like, eh too much drama over here, I'm going to go back to a male, and, and whatever. And you just fluid back and forth, and it's not even necessarily identifying as one or the other, it's really um, being uncertain and not being willing to sort of make that choice. And, and you know, again, we're talking about people here, and they're, internally they're feeling a lot of turmoil. And for some of you, maybe growing up in a, a, a traditional family, I think probably most, if not all of you, um, that's hard to sort of really understand because you may not have experienced that, those kinds of emotions, but there may be some here that you may be a little bit uncertain. Or you're wondering, as you're going through your adolescence, I'm not sure what to make of all of this. And it's okay to... Um, walk through that mentally and process this, but we need to make sure we're, we're based on a foundation of truth. <clears throat> so in, in Canada, we're a, a liberal country, um, so probably a decade or two ahead of the U.S., some U.S. districts anyway, not all, but we have Gemma Hickey here wins a battle for gender neutral birth certificate. You don't have to say male or female, that's what I referred to earlier. And it says, look, this is really personal. People should just choose how they, can, uh, how they want to identify. The problem is, is that these two things are mutually exclusive. They cannot both be true. You can't say, well, it is identified at birth, but oh, I can choose later. 
It's either one or the other. In fact, they're all mutually exclusive. And this is the battle that's raging. It's not just the traditional biblical view, which is up here, but even the culture itself and the messages you're going to be hearing in school or the things you're going to be hearing through the media, you're going to be hearing both of these. And they both cannot be true. It's logically incongruent. Um, So let's talk a little bit about some definitions. So gender identity is how you're experiencing yourself or you think of yourself as male or female. Um, And a gender dysphoria is an experience of distress associated when you don't line up with your biological uh, sex. And your emotional gender identity does not line up. And that's where this distress that happens that's called gender dysphoria. Um, then we have the term of transgender is, uh, is kind of a term that's used to describe how people might experience, <clears throat> in which people might experience or present themselves, how they live out their genders, I- gender identities different from their biological uh, makeup. So a transsexual person who goes one step farther, it's not just living it out in that way, it's actually getting surgery done. You have top surgery and you have bottom surgery. And uh, as you can imagine, that is a a very uh, invasive and um, uh, some will call it surgical mutilation um, that takes place uh, once you get to that point. Um, How often does this happen? Well, according to the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of uh, Mental Disorders, the edition 5, the latest edition, it says this happens in 5 to 14 in 10,000, or for those of you who know math, 0.05% or 0.1%. So very, very, very small number that uh, really experience this, what we call the gender dysphoria. More of you experience some sort of, uh, doesn't feel entirely right, but generally it's not enough to be diagnosed, and the majority of themselves no longer do so beyond adolescence. In other words, once you're beyond your teen years, that's, for the, for the vast majority, it goes away. And uh, you become settled in your identity. And this is something that's you know, really important for you to sort of understand as you're going through your adolescence. Uh, I would expect that most of you would not struggle specifically with gender dysphoria, but you'll struggle with other things. I, don't, I don't, haven't met a person going through their teenage years where it was just smooth sailing all the way through. There are struggles that we go through, and that's part of growing up. And uh, so if you are experiencing a variety of different things, you have to realize that it's not going to stay that way. And you need to hang on. Sometimes we need to get help and talk it through with someone. But uh, you, don't, um, you don't need to think that uh, the world is, that the sky is falling and that somehow you're some weirdo off to the side. Um, and I experienced that uh, myself, uh, not gender dysphoria in particular, but uh, my own experience going through adolescence. I was not a football player. I was not Mr. Muscle Man. I couldn't bench press. I'd be embarrassed to say even what I could bench press at the time. I was a geek. And I was like, no girl gave me even a second look. Uh, and they're you know, like, okay, am I a failure in life? What, uh, you know, am I going to amount to anything? And at times I was wondering, you know, is life even worth living? And, um, and so, 
God transformed my life and gave me that base identity that we'll talk about later of how God transforms us to settle this question in our mind. I want to talk a little bit about brain science, okay? Your brain is phenomenal. God created in an incredible way. This is a bit of an eye chart. What I want to focus on is there's a couple of different things. You know, your balance and coordination, you're getting that, you know, your first year, you're learning to walk and being coordinated. That's when that part is being developed. You have your language as you're learning words and getting to the point until you're in your teenage years where that becomes more fully developed. But look at this one here. The prefrontal cortex associated with judgment Look at where this is developing, 12 to 22. What that means is every one of you in this room, this prefrontal cortex is still in development mode. Okay, what does that mean? Well, if we go to uh, the next slide, the prefrontal cortex is specifically responsible for differentiating on conflicting thoughts, determining good, bad, better, best, determining future consequence of current activities, and a prediction of outcomes. Now, I'm going to let you in on a bit of a secret. You've probably had the uh, unfortunate uh, experience of doing something dumb, and your parents are unimpressed. They come and say, what were you thinking when you did this? And you can legitimately say, sorry, mom and dad, my prefrontal cortex is still in development. I'm not, I really wasn't thinking. And that may actually stop them in their tracks. You may get away with it now. Uh, It may work the first time, but probably not subsequent times. Um, But in reality, it's true that because your prefrontal cortex is still in development, that's why you are not considered an adult until you're 18 years old. And even while you're 18 years old, there are still significant decisions that you will not be able to make because the development is not yet complete. And so when you think of something as enormous and as foundational as telling a you know, 10-year-old or a 15-year-old, say, well, guess what? You can choose your gender and you can go through reassignment surgery and you can take hormones to make that happen. There is no way that brain can process what that actually means in the long term. And sadly, a lot of the message that you're hearing through the culture, through the media, through your school, is not telling the consequences of people following through those decisions. So what do they do when somebody says, I think I'm born in the wrong body, or I don't really feel like I'm the the right uh, gender, and I want to change? It's basically, now, at least in in, in Canada, in Ontario for sure, is you have to unquestionably affirm the child's self-declared gender, even if they're five years old. I want, I'm a girl, but I want to be a boy. It's like, the world has to change because this five-year-old suddenly wants to change her gender. They don't even understand what gender is. Um and immediately accommodate through that, through social transition, these various ways, and then puberty blockers and hormones as early as 10 years old, and even reassignment surgery. That's a very serious thing, and sadly in Ontario, again, I don't know in your jurisdiction, if you're uh, in some other uh, state or province, um, this can be done without any parental consent or parental knowledge. Now think of that, you're not allowed to drive a car, you're not allowed to um, uh, drink, which is a good thing, until in, in, in some cases, until you're 21. You're not allowed to do a whole bunch. You can't sign a contract until you're 18. You can't do any of these things. But here, 
No problem. You want to take these hormones that will damage your body? If you want to mutilate it, go ahead and do it. There's something wrong in our society that gives that level of responsibility to someone who is, their brain has not yet fully developed instead of helping them walk through the crisis that they may be experiencing. So this is Dr. Michelle Critella. She is the president of the American um, Pediatricians uh, Association here in the U.S. And here is what she says. There are at least six, six and a half thousand genetic differences between men and, men and women. No amount of hormones, no amount of surgery can ever change that. She says, to indoctrinate children from preschool forward with the lie that they could be trapped in the wrong body disrupts the very foundation of a child's reality testing. If they can't trust the reality of their physical bodies, who or what can they trust? This ideology in schools is psychological abuse that often leads to chemical castration, sterilization, and surgical mutilation. It's very serious. And another statistic says, see, one of the things, and, and I, I believe people are genuine who want to promote this, this ideology because they're concerned. They say those who experience uh, gender dysphoria are much higher risk of taking their own life. And that is a very serious thing. And their mistaken belief is that if we allow them to transition and do whatever they think is best, it will solve the problem. But what this Dr. Mark Yarhouse is, who is an expert in, the, in, in this area, is saying, look, we've looked at the statistics. We're seeing it doesn't radically change the stats. Someone, even if you accommodate those things, they're still going to struggle with uh, uh, other mental health issues where it doesn't radically make a difference. And on top of that, all the hormones that they're taking and other things that they're experiencing have a significant impact, negative impact on their health. Now, some who have gone through that realize after a while, like, wait a second, I made a mistake. I, I transition, and I'm like, this, this isn't feeling right. I'm not feeling any better. I'm still struggling with these issues of identity. And they realize I want to transition back. But there's a problem here, because when they've transitioned, everyone's like, wow, here's a true self. You're so brave in coming out and being willing to be uh, trans. And then when you're going back, they're like, uh, wait a second. That means that what you did last year or two years ago, that's a lie. And so which is the true you? And you, the people who are detransitioning are finding that they are um, they're seen as a deception of themselves and others. Isn't that ironic? When they come to the conclusion that the very thing that they were told to do is not working, um, they get social pressure to not undo that. And it's a lie from the enemy uh, to keep them trapped into something that is not really them. Let me give you an example here. This is a, a young woman, born female. <clears throat> she uh, transitioned when she was socially transitioned at age 15, started acting out as a male, then became hormone therapy at age 17, and for five years she lived as a man. And then she realized, this is not who I really am. And now she lives with a scarred chest from surgery, a broken voice because of the hormonal therapy that she was taking. Of course, naturally, a female uh, has a higher voice. Uh, uh, 
And by taking those hormones, uh, that voice deepens, and now her voice is broken, and she has a five o'clock shadow because once you take taking those hormones, you will start growing hair, you'll start growing a beard, and trying to undo that now is, in some cases, I wouldn't say impossible, but it takes some radical, radical um, steps to undo that, and it's not always guaranteed. And now uh, she's facing public criticism because she, uh, she's detransitioned. And really, this happened because when she was a teenager, she struggled with her identity. And it's like, and the narrative and the story that she was given and the advice that she was given led her astray. And now she has to live with these consequences for the rest of her life. Really feel sorry for someone who has gone through this experience, who has been lied to. Because the people who lie to them, they don't have to bear the consequence. It's the person who was lied to that is now bearing this lifelong consequence. And I'd like to um, uh, share a true story uh, of a person who went through this experience. My name is Walt Heyer, and I used to be a transgender. In fact, I lived eight years as a transgender female. The reason I'm no longer a transgender is because I found the truth. And I found out uh, it took me a long time to discover the truth, but I started my journey of what they call transgenderism uh, at the age of four and struggled with my gender identity for most of my life and uh, eventually got married uh, in my early 20s, had two children. I was an executive for an automobile company. I worked on the Apollo space missions as a associate design engineer on cryogenic connectors and struggled still with my identity until I went to one of those people they call experts in gender identity. In fact, the guy I went to was the guy who authored the original Harry Benjamin International Standards of Care. So he was an expert. And so he diagnosed me with gender identity disorder or gender dysphoria and said the cure for your problems that started when you were four was hormone therapy and gender reassignment surgery. And so I went through the protocols and spent the two years between the time I was first diagnosed uh, wondering uh, if this was going to work and eventually in April of 1983 I underwent gender reassignment surgery in Trinidad, Colorado. It was a few years after that, about five or six years after that, I began to study psychology and of addictions at uh, UC Santa Cruz and began to crack open the books and found out that uh, people who identify as a transgender are actually suffering from a variety of what they call comorbid disorders, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, body dysmorphic disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder, and many other disorders that the people who are experts, like my doctor, was never paying any attention to. And it's, frankly speaking, from my point of view as a former, young child who did this, it's child abuse and it shouldn't be done. Okay, so this is coming from someone who experienced it. His family also blew up because when he finally said, look, I want to become a female, his wife said, I'm out of here and uh, divorced him and, uh, and he lived with that, that way for a number of years and realized this wasn't the solution and finally got the help that he needed to be able to come to terms with who he was as a man. Let me quote to you uh, uh, some, some experiences from Dr. Michelle Critella that I highlighted earlier, the pediatrician. Uh, she says, if somebody comes into my office and says, doctor, I'm suicidal because I'm an amputee trapped in a normal body. 
please cut off my leg, I will be diagnosed with body identity integrity disorder. There is such a thing. People feel, look, even though I'm normal here, I feel like I don't have this arm. And they will come to the doctor and say, please cut this off. And they'll say, no, no, we're not going to cut this off. We're going to go through counseling so you can live with the body that you have been given. However, but if I walk into a doctor's office and says, I want to be a man, sign me up for a double mastectomy. That is, I want to remove my breasts because I'm as a woman. The physician will say, sure. See, if you want to cut off a leg or arm, you need to have counseling to be able to live with your body. But if you want to cut off healthy breasts or other reproductive organs, you're considered transgender and they will do it. No one, this is her quoting, no one is born transgender. If gender identity were hardwired in the brain before birth, identical twins would have the same gender identity 100% of the time, but they do not. It's not genetic. He says, I had one patient we'll call Andy between the ages of three and five. He played with girls' toys, and he said he was a girl. I referred, again, she's, t- she's saying this in the, in, the, in the first person, I referred the parents to a therapist. Um, in the middle of one session, Andy put down the toy truck, held onto a Barbie, and says, Mommy and Daddy, you don't love me when I'm a boy. Because when Andy was three, his sister with special needs was born and required significantly more of his parents' attention. Andy misperceived this as mommy and daddy love girls, and if I want them to love me, I have to be a girl. With family therapy, Andy got better. However, today, Andy's parents would be told, this is who Andy really is. You must ensure that everyone treats him as a girl, or else he is in um, danger of committing suicide wouldn't be receiving the right help. So let's, let's move on to say, what does science say about this? This is a prominent newspaper uh, in, the, in the United Kingdom that says science pinpoints DNA beha- behind gender identity. Front page news. Wow, amazing. Science has pinpointed. Let's see what the article has to say. It says, transgender men and women may carry genetic variants, a study suggests. The doctor stressed, well, it's really a small number of subjects and no proof as yet that there are any individual variant that was involved in the gender dysphoria. The study has yet to go through peer review and some of its findings may be down to chance. Is this science? No, this is not science. This is somebody printing something on the front page. They want to make a statement. Appreciate that they're actually being truthful here, but this is not how science actually works. It needs to go through far more rigor than what they've uh, highlighted here. And if you look at all any sort of genetic correlation, they say, well, alcoholism, alcoholism is genetic, uh, anger is in the genes, depression, uh, autism, uh, d- different variants linked to Parkinson's disease, anxiety. All of these things may have a genetic disposition, but do you think it's reasonable for me to say I've, I'm an alcoholic and I'm drinking and driving, and I get pulled over, and the officer comes by my window and says, Sir, have you been drinking? And dri- are you, have you been drinking? And I say, Yes, officer, I've been drinking. But you know what? I have a genetic disorder. I just can't help myself but drink. You're going to say, Oh, okay, sorry, Mr. Tolman, I'll, I'll let you go. Of course not. It's like, no, you're responsible. Even if you have that kind of genetic disposition, you may be more susceptible to that kind of temptation, that doesn't mean that you can just act it out. 
Um, and that's true for any of these things. If I happen to be you know, easily angry and fly into a rage, that doesn't justify my means to be able to act out in that way. Um, or if I'm born, born with, a, with a cleft lip, you know, with half of my lip, lip missing, do, do, do the doctors say, well, this is how Gary was born. Uh, we'll just leave him that way. No, we realize, ooh, there's a mistake here. There's a problem. We're going to work to try to address that problem. So even if it turns out you're born this way, I don't believe that's necessarily the case. In many cases, it's not. Um, because science can only tell us about how we are in a very limited way, but it can't tell us how we should be. So the big question is, is it nature or is it nurture? Is it something that we're born with or is it something that we're raised? And, and, and you'll read studies that will say one or the other. I don't think there's a real conclusion on that. But what he says is it should be noted that the majority uh, across gender identification is comorbid. In other words, it exists with other aspects that relate to mental health. All of us need to be mentally healthy and we go through times of anxiety and stress where our mental health is not where it needs to be and often the case when these other things happen that's where we see uh, cross gender or gender dysphoria types issues so what is the truth about gender if god says for by him were all things created if we believe that's true or false, if it's true, then only God can tell us really how we are created. So what does God say? In his word, it says, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. Here we got the two genders God specifically created. Uh, and uh, so it's not our choice. Just like you didn't choose who your parents were, you didn't choose to be born in this era, you could have been born 2,000 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago. You could have been born in Egypt, in Iran. This is none of your choice. It wasn't your choice. Um, neither, is your ch neither is it our choice to choose which gender we are born into. God is the one that has chosen that for us, along with all these other things that he's chosen. So why has he done this? So we can reflect God's holiness you think of, let, 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 uh, if you think of holiness, holiness is generally moral purity, but holiness means to be set apart. You know when God created the um, um, seven days? He created the seventh day, and what did he say about that seventh day? Call it out. What do you say about the seventh day? What's special about the seventh day? He rested. And some of you feel like resting right now. I get it. <laughs> so... Uh, he rested and he called it holy. It's a separate day, right? It's called the Sabbath. And we do that as our Sunday. We, we, we set it apart. We don't do our normal activities like work. And he said, um, it's reflected in all the things that he's created, including our gender. And what did he do? He, <clears throat> as he set it apart so that we can reflect God's being. You guys have heard of the Trinity God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Yet, their three are one in unity, and yet they're diverse. And if you look at how God created gender, he created man. She is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. There's the unity. And then it says, woman, she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. There's unity and diversity. We're reflecting God's being by reflecting our gender. 
And also we can reflect God's love for his creation. In Ephesians it says, for this cause, and the Apostle Paul is quoting, that we are... Um, the leave his father and mother, be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. I speak concerning Christ and the church. Many of you have been able to grow up in a loving family, mother and father, and when that is working properly, that is the best household to grow up in. It doesn't mean that if you don't come from a household like that, that you're... Uh, that you can't prosper, that you can't live a normal life, it is more difficult. And uh, God's design was to use both male and female as a husband and a wife to reflect his love in the most full way that is possible as we can. So now someone asks, um, why has God made me like this? This was a very uh, popular uh, transgender uh, person born a girl transitioned to a boy when she was five or six years old and she was wondering she was really struggling why did God make me like this but really what we need to ask is why are any of us like this i.e. the way we are and we have to look at the scripture to help give us that answer so what has gone wrong if you look at the scripture it says we were sometimes alienated in our mind and our understanding is darkened, being alienated from the life of God through ignorance. According to the gospel, how are we? What has gone wrong? Shout it out. What has gone wrong with, with creation? According to the scripture here. According to scripture in general. Anyone? Okay, we're living in a fallen creation. Okay, what does that mean? Give me some examples of living in a fallen creation that you have experienced or you know of. Yep. Okay, born into sin, yeah. And how is that reflected? How have you seen, maybe you want to say it'll be easier. Most of you probably have siblings. Tell me how well your siblings behave all the time. Okay, are they selfish sometimes? Yes. Who taught them to be selfish? Did you guys teach them to be selfish as an older brother or sister? Maybe, maybe they learned from your example. But even if you weren't there, they would still be selfish right? Nobody taught them the words my and mine, and that's where the, some of the first words my kids learned. This is my toy. And some of them are even more aggressive. Bonk the other sibling on the head and take it away. Well, this is part of being born into a fallen creation. We are not who we are supposed to be, okay? Because we're all alienated by sin, and so our heart, our soul, our mind, our body, they're all disordered. We don't always have the right feelings. We don't always have the right thoughts. And all of you will struggle with that, including myself, that we, don't ha we have sometimes evil thoughts that we don't, if we don't properly control, can destroy our life. Um, so <clears throat> there is a question here that was asked. How many of you guys have heard of Dr. Ravi Zacharias? Okay, we got about half, okay? So he is a worldwide ministry. He's an apologist that goes around to universities around the world. Okay, he has a team of people. What's, anyone know what an apologist is? What's an apologist? Yep, okay, so apologist is someone who gives a defense, gives a defense for the biblical narrative, the biblical account, 
because a lot of people think, ah, that's old fables, it's all uh, fairy tales. And so he goes around and explain, explains to university students, some of you, how many, I guess, how many of you are going to university in the upcoming fall? We got a couple here, okay, those who are probably 18, 19. Um, how many are in university already? Okay, we got a, a few more. So he would come, and maybe one day he'll come to university, he came to my university, <clears throat> um, and he will make a defense for the gospel. And so here, the, uh, his team was asked the question, is God okay with someone who is transgender? Now, the person who's asking the question at the beginning has an accent. You probably won't get it. That's why I'm repeating it now. So let's roll the video and, and hear the answer. Can we turn the volume up as well once you're playing that? Uh, can you go back to the I'll keep my answer brief. Uh, I would recommend for you a book by Mark Yarha. Thank you. God okay with people being transgendered? Does the Bible say anything against it? Well, thank you for this question, and I suspect it may be a very personal question for multiple people in the room uh, and watching. And so I want to be sensitive in the way that I answer it and admit to you up front that I don't have a a perfect uh, response to this issue, which is becoming more and more prevalent, and we're thinking about more and more. But let me offer a couple of thoughts. One, I want to affirm this feeling of a gap between who we feel ourselves to be and what ultimately we're intended to be, or the way that we are now and the way we feel that we ought to be, that gap there. The Bible affirms that gap. It says that we're living in a broken world. It says that the creation itself is groaning for restoration. So if you feel that gap in yourself between where you are and what you feel like you ought to be, the Bible affirms that, that experience, that feeling. The question is, is our gender something that is given to us or something that we need to create ourselves? Okay, let's pause the video now, if we're a working within an atheistic <clears throat> framework, the video for a second? then we have no choice but... He's asking some really fundamental questions here. Right? He says, first of all, he wants to affirm the gap between what we feel and what we ought to be like. All of us experience that gap to some degree or other. Um, and the other one, the question is, who gets to choose our identity? That's the question. And I know you guys have been a really uh, great audience, and uh, you've had a full week. And I'd like to just pause here for a second and have everyone just stand up and stretch. Okay? Stand up. And if, you're, if your person beside you is sleeping, give them a poke. Okay, stand up. Raise your arms, stretch a little bit. Roll your shoulders a little bit. There you go. Get the blood flowing to the brain. Ah, there we go. We got this happening. Okay, we need, your, we need enough oxygen flowing to your brain to be able to digest the answers to these very important questions. Okay, have a seat. And let's, we'll continue the video to answer these two questions. Who chooses our identity? Who gets to tell us who our identity is? And to affirm the gap that the Bible talks about between who we are to who we are supposed to be. Let's keep going with the video, please. Identities ourselves in a variety of ways. I think that can be a great burden. I referenced Camus earlier. He spoke about this as... Picturing someone carrying, like, Atlas 
carrying the entire world on their back, that burden of having to create your own identity. If we're talking about this within a Christian framework, then we don't need to create our own identity. Our identity in various respects is given to us by God. And God created people, according to the Bible, male and female. Now, there may still be this gap between where we feel that we are and where we want to be. There may be a gap between what we are biologically and what we feel. God's love for us is holistic. Okay? He loves us as full beings, not just our emotions and our psychology and our feelings, not just our bodies. He loves both of them. And he's the one, if he exists, who knit us together in our mother's wombs and knows us better than anyone. So he loves us in our physicality and our biology, and he loves us in our emotions and our psychology. And his promise is that there can be restoration and reconciliation for them. And here, I think, is the amazing thing. Why should we trust God? Why should we trust Jesus with something as significant as that in our lives? Well, I think it's because Jesus himself experienced something of a mismatch between who he was and the body that he was in. Jesus himself, the incorruptible God, took on a corruptible body. And there was a mismatch there in some sense. And yet, because he was God himself, he was able to die and then rise again with a redeemed body that was fully restored and fully reconciled. And so why, if you are going through this yourself and you're dealing with it personally and you're saying, this is really, really tough. And what the Christian faith asks of me is really tough because it's asking me to trust that there can be this reconciliation, this restoration of two things that seem to be part of me and I don't see how that can happen. Well, the question is, is there a God big enough and loving enough who can do that? Did that God actually reveal himself in history? And did he reveal himself in history in a way that shows us that he understands exactly what you're going through? Because he took on a body that didn't feel right. But he was able to go through that and rise with a redeemed body. And because he knows exactly what it is that you're going through, that's why, if that's true, you can trust him with your gender, with both your physicality and with your emotions, and you can trust that he is leading all of this towards a time where there'll be no more mourning or death or crying or pain. And we forget sometimes what a thin slice of time it is that we live in right now and how much different things could be one day. But what if it is the case that one day it is like waking up from a dream? And that is how much real, much more real and rich and substantive and true our lives will be then. And the wholeness we will experience then will be compared to what we experience now. I think that's a beautiful hope and promise that Jesus offers. And he offers it to anyone who's struggling with this issue. Thank you. <clears throat> so what he's saying there is that this, there is this gap. This, because we're living in a fallen creation. And it's a great burden if we were to have to choose our gender. And let me give you a simple example of that. Um, choice, all of you guys are making hundreds of choices a day. If 
But how many of you have ever experienced when you went to buy something, you go into the store, you're buying uh, you know, some sporting equipment or some clothes or something, and you, you look at all the choices in front of you. Um, as the number of choices increase, I will say personally, I get more stressed. Because I'm like, <gasps> before I could buy you know, two pairs of jeans, a fit, oh, fit's okay, done. Now I go to the store, there's like you know, 50 different varieties to choose from. I'm like, do I have to try on all 50 of these? Like, they're going to be here all day in the change rooms trying these on. And how do I know I bought the best one? Okay, jeans is inconsequential. What about a car? Or what about a house? Or what about my life partner? And these things are hard choices to make. And God has given us the responsibility to make those choices. But something like gender, what he's saying, is such an enormous choice. God has already taken care of that for us. We don't have to bear that huge burden like the world, the world is on our shoulders to make that kind of decision. He's already done that for us. And even when we are uh, totally comfortable with that choice, there'll be other things that he's chosen for us that we may not be totally comfortable with or because we live in a fallen creation that we turn to him to help us work through those things and experience that uh, transform, transformation required. And so if we fail to see ourselves and our own experience through the lens of alienation, knowing that there's this gap, then we will fail to respond to the gender struggling and put whatever word you want in there. Another person who's struggling with lots of different things will fail to respond to them in the way of Jesus. So the beginning place for any response is that because we were created to be like God and live in relationship with him, we will never know who and what we are until we are rightly related to him in Christ. And let me share with you an experience. <clears throat> My wife, Darlene, she, as she was growing up in her teen years, she was very competitive, loved to play sports, loved to hang around with the guys. And in a sense, people called her a tomboy. And as she grew up, <clears throat> she also didn't feel entirely... Uh, she didn't have gender dysphoria, but uh, didn't feel like she necessarily fit in and had uh, self-esteem challenges. Today, if somebody is a tomboy, people are thinking, hmm, maybe you're born in the wrong body, when in reality, nothing could have been further from the truth. Those of you that know her, she's very feminine and uh, very happily married to, uh, to, uh, with her. And uh, God has transformed her. And in the anxieties, the gap that she experienced from what she was feeling to what God meant her to be made a huge difference when she became a Christian. Those feelings of, of anxiety or self-worth, worthlessness, the Lord radically changed her life when she... Um, gave her life to him and made him the foundation of her life. And so I wanted to highlight one verse here that sort of underscores that, which says, there is neither Jew, Greek, slave, free, nor male or female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. God's promises are now available to us when we become one in Christ. He forms that identity, that base, that foundation that we talked about earlier that then sets things right in your life. Now, does that mean that when you become a Christian, all your problems go away? Is that right? What do you think? How many people are Christians in here? Put up your hand. Okay. 
Did all your problems go away? No, no, anyone, anyone's, no, well, what's going on? How come, you, how come you still have problems? Doesn't it just fix everything? No, it doesn't, but what happens is because we have this identity in Christ, he gives us the power to be able to deal with the difficulties and the things that we may be feeling. And a lot of the things, they do go away. As in, I remember a, a very prominent testimony, someone who was a drinker, alcoholic, tried for years to get, a, to get away from it, and when he got converted, instant healing went away provided um, a deliverance. But that doesn't happen to everyone. Some people still struggle with that or have a sensitivity to that, but God gives them the power to live above it. You're no longer subjected. You're no longer a slave to whatever that incongruence that you're living with in your life. So I'm going to, we're almost done here, another few minutes. I'm going to give you three lenses to look through on any sort of disability. Okay? There's the integrity lens where truth is the most important. And this has a number of pros and cons, as all perspectives in life has. So what do you think if, if we say, I put on the truth hat, truth is most important. What do you think are some of the positive things with that kind of lens, if that's what I'm looking through my glasses? Shut them out. What's positive about that? Okay, so you can, you can identify what is lie and what is, what, is, what is a lie and what is a truth. Yeah, very good. So we subject our feelings to the truth. Feelings aren't the real me. Truth is what matters. But some of the downsides to this is that it's often not sufficiently balanced and people who struggle feel judged or rejected or even afraid to seek help. Okay, because they're like, uh... If I say uh, I'm struggling with uh, pornography, or I'm struggling with drinking, or I'm struggling with body image, I'm struggling with eating disorder, whatever, it's like, hey, uh, I know it's true, but I f I'm afraid that if I say it, I'm going to be judged. And if, you, if we are not compassionate, realize that we're all broken people, somebody comes out that way, we will judge them, and that's not right. That is not the way of Jesus. That's not the biblical way. So the disability lens uh, is not what was meant to be. How many of you need to wear, how many of you are wearing contacts today? So we got probably 15, 20%. How many of you are wearing glasses today? So we got another. So I would guess probably almost 40% of you, or almost half, need corrective lenses for your eyes. You know, when I was growing up, um, even before that, people did not want to wear glasses or corrective lenses. Why? Because it was seen as a disability. It means you're weak. Now, today, and people were called four eyes and all kinds of derogatory names, now that's, at least as far as I know, that's not an issue at all. That's normal because we realize, look, our eyes, they're not meant, they're, they're, sometimes we don't, they're not, um, uh, they need correction. And I've had surgery. I used to wear glasses and contacts. I got surgery done. And, uh, but eventually, I'm going to need glasses to read as I get older. It's because our bodies are not in, uh, made in perfection. And we don't see that as a disability anymore, fortunately, as a society. Um, so the good thing about viewing things through the disability lens is that we recognize that we're broken by sin and we're in a fallen creation. And we are meant to be overcomers. But some of the downside is a person can be viewed primarily by this disability or it 
becomes an excuse. And so somebody has a de- eating disorder, you know, somebody's labeled them and says, oh, there goes second helping Bertha, or there goes diabetic Douglas, or maybe there's four eyes Fritz, or there's angry Adolf. We get labeled, and none of those things are... Um, labels are not helpful. If you just see angry Adolf wake, walking around and all you see is, is, a big, is a fuse and a firecracker ready to go off, that's not helpful to poor Adolf. He needs help, right? Um, and that's true for any disorder that we struggle with. And I venture to say that every single one of you through the audience here will struggle with at least one thing. At least one. Most of us struggle with many different things. And if we view it properly through the disability lens, that we recognize we're broken by sin, but we don't have to stay there. Then we have the diversity lens. Not everyone fits into the same mold. Differences should be celebrated. Of course, that's true. I look across the audience. I got some shorter people, some taller people, some stronger people, some weaker people, all uh, uh, curly hair, straight hair, blonde, all kinds of different variety. Why do you think God created all that variety? Why didn't he just make everyone cookie cutter? Same hairstyle, same hair color, same everything. Why? What's that? Robots, okay, could be. What else? Why else? Anyone ever thought of that? Why are we different? There's beauty in diversity, okay? You go to a garden and you look at all the flowers, if they're all the same color, if there's only one variety of flower in the entire world, you look at it like, oh, I've seen this, yeah, hmm, well. Or if there's only one bird type in the whole world, no, God created diversity for beauty. And we do have to view it through that. So, but if we get it wrong, we say, well, uh, we extend that farther than what the Bible allows, then rather than viewing something as a disability, we now explain it as an excuse, and we celebrate it rather than getting the proper help. And so if you look at this diversity, you'll see men up there that are being fatherly, holding a child. You'll see the tough guy here. This is what I wanted to be when I was a teen, and I was very far from that. Those arms are pretty impressive. Um, And uh, I'll never be like that. Uh, Or you have, you know, someone who's a a woman firefighter. That's fine. Or construction or whatever. Or you have the musician. You have someone who's the the poet and the musician as a man versus someone who's the firefighter or as the, the Mr. Tough Guy. You know what? Your gender is still male. It's okay. We have this variety and diversity that God created to provide beauty. So, a couple of final thoughts here. Be careful what, what media you consume. See, you are what you eat, in a sense that God says, keep your heart with all the diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. If you consume stuff that makes these things look normal, the alternate sexuality, all the transgenderism, as the popular media now is making them as main characters, you're going to think that this is normal, and it is not normal. You know, in my day and age, we were told... As a, in the teen forums, to say, hey, be careful what you watch, because in my day and age, it was people who were not married that were being intimate, uh, male and female. It's like, ooh, be careful, the movies are, are highlighting this. And sure enough, over time, that became, quote, normal, where people now live in that sense in sin. They don't even call it that anymore. And there's all kinds of broken relationships that litter the landscape. People being born, uh, kids being born in families, or they don't have two parents that, 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 that uh, care for them. 
And we actually even had a neighbor that said, oh, I don't want to be married. I want to have a kid. You see, this celebrity, whoever the celebrity was, look, she's not married. She had a kid. I can, if she can do it, I can do it. What's, the wrong, what's wrong with that statement? You know how much that celebrity makes? Millions of dollars and hires a whole team of nannies that watch the kid. And when you're a single mom or a single dad, when you have a young kid, your life get put, gets stopped and you need to take care of the kid. It's a totally different world. That is what you're seeing on the screen is not reality. And so be careful what you watch and what you're taking in. There's wholesome things that you can watch instead. Um, so final thoughts here. For the vast majority, this gender dysphoria will fix itself. And uh, we need to be compassionate, focus on the spiritual transformation, because that sets the foundation for it all. And if you do struggle with it, or you have friends that struggle with it, and you're trying to work through these feelings, tell your parents or a mature Christian about your struggle. And if concerns persist, you can seek help, professional help. But remember Walt Heyer's story? He went to seek help, and the counselor says, oh yeah, of course, you're transgender. We're going to get you assigned to, to uh, hormonal therapy, etc. So be careful in your source of advice. Go to a Christian source of advice. So the Apostolic Christian Church Counseling and Family Services has a, a line here. You can call, you can go to their website, and you can call anonymously and say, look, I'm really struggling with A and B and C, whatever that happens to be, and they can provide you help. If, even if, you, if you, there isn't someone you're comfortable reaching out to, it's okay to recognize that, uh, th th that you're struggling with something. And doing something about it is showing courage and uh, being proactive as the theme of this camp year is to go do something about it. Okay, I, um, I, we're running late. Um, we don't, uh, if, are there any questions? I'll take just uh, one minute for any questions that anyone has. Yes. Okay, how do you handle the situations when somebody you're with, friend or a coworker or student, is transgender? How do you interact with them? Well, we recognize you can't necessarily approach them and say, oh, you're totally wrong, what are you doing? You have to demonstrate compassion and, uh, you know, do you, which pronoun do you use? Do you switch pronouns to the ones that they want? That's something that you personally have to decide. Um, some in the adult form asked that question and said they were just referred to them as their name, saying, hey, you know, somebody was a Samantha and became a Sam. They say, hey, hey, Sam, or there goes Sam, or Sam said this rather than a he or a she, so you don't get confused with the pronouns. Um, that's one, one way of doing it. And really, depending on how close you are to that person, um, you can also introduce some of these things if that, you know, when the conversation comes up. But a lot of people will not be open to that, and it's okay. It's not on your shoulders to try to fix them. Only God can fix each one of us. And uh, instead of focusing on that specific issue, look for spiritual transformation. Help them understand God's design for humanity, and God will help transform that person. Okay, any other questions? Great question. Okay, if there's not any questions, you can certainly approach me afterwards. Uh, thank you all for your participation. You're a great audience. Now you head up to Lehman Auditorium for the Teen Choir. <laughs>